You're listening to teaching from Central Church in West Columbia, South Carolina. We hope that this message will help you experience Jesus in a new and exciting way. For more information, please visit us at centralnazarene.org. We're going to be on a theme called Let Earth Receive Her King. I'll read you a passage of Scripture. It comes out of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, the Prince of Prophets. Beautiful words, especially at Advent. Isaiah 64. It's a little bit lengthy passage, but I'm going to read it. Um, so either listen, read along with me, or listen, pay attention. Oh, it starts out to Isaiah. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, and that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down and make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient, since ancient times, no one has heard, nor ear has perceived, nor eye has seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait for Him. You come to help those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you are angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteousness acts are like filthy rags. We are shriveled up like a dry leaf. And like the wind, our sins swept us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. You have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. You are the clay and we are the potter. I mean, we are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the works of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure. It's hard to read this. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look upon us, we pray. For we are all your people. Thanks be to God. God. 
you know, so many of our brothers and sisters throughout history have experienced very dark times, times beyond compare, times that defy description. And that song, In the Bleak Midwinter, kind of captures the idea. It's cold and snow and wind-swept plains and just bitterness. And deep sorrow. Words fail to try to capture it, to try to describe it. And my life has been very blessed, and I'm I'm well aware of it. But some have experienced such horrific things, such tragic things. We're not for the grace of the Lord, faith stomping out kinds of things. A young lady feels a certain uncomfortableness in her body, and she's aware of it for a while, and finally comes up with enough nerve to maybe go see the doctor. And she's concerned as she goes and doesn't really tell anybody. Maybe her closest associate, maybe a spouse, maybe a mom. But her spirit's troubled as she goes. And the doctor, she does what she is trained to do. She does the necessary exams. She has a very stoic look on her face. She don't know how to say it. There's no easy way to say it. She says something like, you know, this is not good. There's a mass growing in your abdomen. I don't know how to say this, but you may only have weeks. You may only have weeks. So my suggestion to you is to put everything in order. We'll do everything we can. But make things ready. Can you imagine receiving a word in the bleak midwinter? The wife is working in the kitchen and making preparation on a cold, wintry November day, just happens to look out the window. And just in that moment, she see, sees her husband kind of grab his chest, and he bends over, and immediately something just sweeps over, and he falls to the ground. She grabs her cell phones and rushes outside, and He's still conscious. She dials 911 the best she can. Within a matter of minutes, the rescue squad is there. And he's had a heart attack. And it doesn't look good. She jumps in her car and follows the, the, the rescue squad to the hospital. They rush in. They go immediately in. 
it's too severe, it's, 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 it's obviously life-threatening. They make arrangements to do necessary surgery and do an open-heart surgery, whatever needs to be done, and everything is set up, and they go into surgery. And one of the assistants comes to her in the waiting room and says, this doesn't look real good. You just need to prepare yourself, and uh, we'll do the best we can. But pray. And she doesn't know else to do. And she sits there, and time is going by. She notices some close friends and family, and people begin to pray. And she's sitting there thinking, and anxiety begins to set in. How am I going to make the house payment? How am I going to make the car payment? How am I going to keep up this property? What am I going to do? How am I going to do this by myself? Times goes by, and maybe a little longer than what she thought. And it didn't look good. Isaiah is writing about a time when things didn't look good. The people of Israel had been carried away into Babylonian captivity. And they had spent 70 years there. About the time of an average person's life, some had died in captivity. But while they were alive, they shared the hopes and the dreams with their children and their children's children in hope that someday exile will be over. Someday this winter will pass. Someday spring will come again. It's called Judea. It's a beautiful place. There's olive trees. And there's grape vines that have just been there for years and years, and your great, great, great grandfather planted. It's a beautiful place. There's a temple there, or there was a temple there. Our home might still be there. It was a beautiful place on the slopes of Judea. Hope someday you'll get to see it. And after 70 years that they've been told those stories, they were, they were allowed to leave and go back to Judea. And they were thought they were looking forward to a great homecoming. It was going to be a great celebration. It was a time to rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. We're going home. Going home. That's almost always a good experience. As the little saying says, wherever I wander, wherever I roam, wherever I go, there's no place like home. Amen. Amen. And they make their way through the wilderness, and they come into Judea. And they walk up the gravel road, to what used to be home. It's just rubble there. It's been tore down. The grapevines have been burnt. The other trees have been chopped down. The dreams and the visions of once they once knew, it's not there anymore. And they've been in exile for 40 years. They've buried their, some of their parents there. Some of them have dug up the bones from their parents and their grandparents and bringing them back home. That's what Isaiah is trying to describe. So the people of Judah, they, the older ones cry. They cry. Some who make their way onto Jerusalem to see what might be left of the temple. The temple has been torn down, left in ruins. And they weep and they cry. And that's where this comes from. Lord, where are you at? 
Why have you forsaken us? Oh, that you would come down from the heavens. This is your temple. This is your house. We are your people. Why this ruin? Why is this happening to us? Why is my life such a mess? And they begin to cry out. And they something that we don't know much about. They begin to pour out lamentation before God and asking Him why. See, we don't know hardly anything about that. Not in church. Church is celebration. But for the people of God who face, face and experience many dreadful things, many throughout history have poured out lamentation before the Lord and cry out, Lord, where are you at? It's kind of like when Jesus cried on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we know that he has not forsaken. Sometimes it seems like maybe God has forsaken. I don't know what all you are experiencing right now or what you have experienced in your life. And sometimes it feels like, God, what are you doing? Where are you at? Why are you not near me? Why is this happening to me? And there's always an enemy that slips in that, in that moment and says, oh yeah, why has he gone? Why has he forsaken you? Why is this happening to you? So much for serving him. When you came down, when you come and sit on the mountains, the mountains would quake before you. The temple would fill with the glory of your presence and the smoke would fill the place and people would have to run away and hide and you would speak and nations and seas would split and you would drown the, you know, the horses and the chariots of our enemies in the sea. Lord, what about those days? What about the good old days when the renown of God was great and the nations would fear before the Lord? What about those days? The good old days, Lord. The, when the glory would fall. When people would shout and sing. And churches were full of singing. What about those days, Lord? Do you want those days? I tried to be aware of history and what many have experienced. You think about the first, second, and third century believers. You think about the brothers and sisters that were in China, that were in the old Soviet Union, in communist places, were anywhere in the world, or anyone who has suffered in ways that we have not. And even in what matter what ways that, that you may have suffered, I wonder, you know, have you ever experienced a circumstance or a situation where, where from deep down in the, in the very, it's hard to describe, the very inner resources, places of your soul, you cried out to God? Have you ever been there? Like, I can only think of one time where that's happened to me of all the things, but somewhere which I'd never even experienced before, a cry, a wail came up from out of my soul and out of my mouth up to God. Indescribable. I think the songwriter, we sing it sometimes. We may sing it this season. 
The songwriter tried to capture it with the Christmas, the Advent carol that we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. That's what he's talking about. It's been in exile. Come, Emmanuel. Come, O God that is with us and rescue us. Where have you gone? We, we have a terrible need. Our world is in shambles. Our world is constantly threatened. We, now we have weapons and we could absolutely annihilate ourselves. There's such coarseness. There's such divisiveness. There's such meanness all over the world and there's saber rattling going on all over the world. We're at the end of our rope. We can't fix this. We can't save ourselves in the text. They make this confession. See, sometimes, sometimes the things that happen to us that can be very, very deeply breaking, soul-crushing, have nothing to do with what we have done. Sometimes we experience the, the, the consequences of the sins of others, which is one of the most horrific things about sin is that it doesn't just fall on you. It falls on everyone around you. See, that's, that's just horrible. That in and of itself should be enough to help us to walk straight. Because sin is not private. It breaks all around. It breaks the person and it breaks those that are anywhere near. Everyone pays a consequence. And we know very much about a private sin. We know about, very much about private confession. We're trained in that way. We don't know a whole lot about communal confession. We don't know a whole lot about community confession. But that's what's being expressed in this text. For we, the prophet says, we have sinned. We have sinned. See, we are our prophets. We are prophets and we are priests and, and, and we represent the country. We represent the church. We represent God to one another and one another to God. We have transgressed, they said. We have become very unclean. And when you become unclean, in this context, you can't go before God. You can't go to the temple. And this is what they're confessing. We as, your, we as the people... We have sinned, we have transgressed, we have become unclean. We are like filthy rags. And I don't mean this in any kind of disparaging way. I really don't. It's not in my heart. I only mean it as a way to describe. But if you've ever been to, around someone who has uh, been, been uh, uh, working uh, in ways that have contaminated their clothes, and, and you maybe, maybe you have crawled underneath your house or something along that line, and maybe you had to crawl through a sewage line. There's the only way to get to the point where you needed to fix the place. And when you come out, you're, you're very close. You have to get out of them right away because they just are filled with a stench. He describes their sin like that. Our sin and our undoing is like filthy rags. The things that we have done, they're like filthy rags. And he goes to another metaphor, another word picture, we're like crumbled up leaves. A crumbled up leaf that is just driven by the wind. So there's this deep confession and admittance of their own guilt. That's why I wanted to say sometimes, sometimes the things that happen to us, we bring on ourselves by stupid choices. 
by stupid choices, by not listening to wisdom, by not listening to the promptings of the Spirit of God, by not paying attention to the Word of the Lord. So we bring difficult things into our life simply because we're hard-hearted and stubborn and want our own way. But sometimes it happens because of what other people have done. But in this case, they're confessing their own sin. And sometimes lamentation has both. A lamentation and a cry to God coupled with the confession of our own failure. They generally go together. So even though the situation is bad, the confin has been, has been confessed, there's this beautiful expression that, that gives us hope. This beautiful expression that is in verse 8 of this chapter, chapter 64, and it is a phrase that sometimes we express it like this, but God. It's a beautiful word. We have a hopeless situation. We, we, we really have a hopeless situation. We are kind of hopeless people. We, we continually blunder and fall and stumble and we get it wrong. And sometimes we're like filthy rags and sometimes we're about as effective as crumbled up leaves. But God. They return home. Their homes, their homes are destroyed. The temple is destroyed. Their vineyards are destroyed. The olive trees are cut down. It's a barren wasteland. And the prophet speaks, describing to us the heart of the people. God has an answer. It says this. I love it. Isaiah says, yet. In spite of all this stuff, in spite of all this darkness, in spite of all this gloom, in spite of all of our failure, in spite of, in spite of our shortcomings, so that it's like filthy rags and crumbled up leaves, yet. I know statue makes my shout. Yet. We're a mess, but, but now, nevertheless, in spite of these things, you are our father. You are our potter. We're the works of your hand, and we are your people. The psalmist, actually Isaiah, may be borrowing from David. I mean, I don't know. I mean, they were around shepherds and sheep. But David, sometime earlier, had written in the Psalms, we are the sheep of your pasture. And Isaiah uses that expression. We are the sheep. In the previous chapter, we are, we are the sheep of your pasture. And what that's talking about is a, an intimate, unbreakable relationship. Creator, creation. So God's response to these people was, his first response, was a, a love that won't stop. A love that won't stop. There's a song, I love it, it's one of my favorite songs. Oh love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give you back the life I owe. It's a beautiful song. God loves us like a parent. Even exile is no match for the love of God. He loves us like a parent, and we can be sure, just as a good parent, Jesus said, if you are just earthly creatures and you know how to good, do good things for your children, how much more will your heavenly Father do good to those of you who trust in Him? So what are we to do? We can see 
I mean, I heard Vicky talking to a friend this morning. Our world's a mess. Things are scary, they said. What are we to do? Hope in God. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. He's not caught off guard by any of these things. Not by exile. Not by evil. Not by corruption. Not by powers. Not by kings or priests. He's still Lord of all. The op, the op, the, 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 our proper response to wherever you happen to have lived in history, and here we are together in this moment and this time in history, God is ever so faithful, and His response toward us is one of love, one like a parent that seeks out our better good. And sometimes my mom's design about my better good was not what I thought what might be my better good. Her idea of what my better good was to go out on the hickory switch Y'all don't even know what that is. Or send me out to get my own hickory switch. And I got smart aleck one time and I brought her one about that big. That was a mistake. She went and got one about like this big. She said, oh, you want to play that game too? Can go there. Yeah, we went round and round. It wasn't a dance either. Sometimes the parent, the Lord chastens those he loves. I read a story, a, a, a pastor was writing this story, and he, he tells about how that he took his kid uh, to Toys R Us. Now, that was back when Toys R Us was still in operation. So he took his kid to Toys R Us, and you know, it was around Christmas time, and people were everywhere, and he was trying to pay attention to his little boy, and he was trying to get presents, and, and just for a split second, he was paying attention to the toy, reading it, looking at the price, and he seeing whether it needs batteries or not, and he looked down, the boy was gone. Anybody ever experienced that? So he was looking around. He goes up this aisle, goes up that aisle. He can't see his boy. He gets frantic. He sees a security guard over toward the front. He runs over and he goes, hey, listen, uh, you guys have cameras in here? Of course they have cameras in here. He said, can you pull it up? Do you pull it? And he had to get a screen right there. He said, can you scan the store? I need to make sure my boy's in here. So he scans the aisles up and down. And sure enough, as they're looking together, there's a little boy by himself standing there crying near a section of toys. He had saw something, he went over to look at it, not realizing how far away he walked away from his dad, his security, his comfort, his counselor, his peace, his strength, his board. And his dad, yeah, he says, can I, can I speak to him on that microphone? And he says, sure, here, just talk to him. So he goes on and he says, uh, Zach, stay right there, stay right there, stay right where you are. This is his dad. The little boy's looking around. He can hear his dad's voice, but he can't see him. Stay right there. I see you. I see you. I'll be right there. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you're getting it. Sometimes when it things like all things are lost, like where is he at? He's looking right down on you, and he's saying, hold fast, stay right there. I'm not far away. I'm coming to get you. I'll be at your side. So sometimes when it things like things are just falling apart, God is right there. He's looking down like a father, and if that father had a compassionate heart, wanted to find a son, how much more would your heavenly father want to look out for you and look out for you? So our, our response in these times, and no matter where you are, no matter where you live, is to wait patiently for him because he knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what's going on. He sees through and through. So we wait eagerly. We wait in expectation and hope. See, this is something that the world does not have. The world has despair. We may have a very difficult circumstance, but in the midst of the circumstance, we have hope because we have a Father 
with eyes full of mercy and a heart full of love. And he really cares when your head is bowed low. Bowed low. Consider the lilies and you'll know. Listen, songwriter wrote this song. I, thought, I, saw, I, I was singing this to myself this morning as I was thinking about this particular word. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief, grief or pain. Lean to thy God to order and provide. In every change he faithfully remains. Be still, my soul. The best thy heavenly Father through stormy waves, through stormy waves leads to a better day. A wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. A wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock where rivers of pleasure I see. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, weary land. He hideth my soul in the cleft of his love and covers me there with his hand. The sun is beating down, and we know the sun is there and it's beating down. But the scripture says in another place, but underneath are the everlasting arms of God. See, if y'all don't shut, I'm going to have to jump over this rail right here again. I mean, you're just going to make me do that. And Vicky said, I can't do that. <laughs> underneath are the everlasting arms of above is the covering of his hand. We do not have despair. We may have difficult times. We may have tragic times. But best of all, as John Wesley says, God is with us. Let me finish with this. The expectation, the looking, is like a young bride with a little girl whose husband has been sent away for a six-month military, what do they call that? Deployment. And it has been in a war zone. And she's prayed for him every day. And he has survived. And she gets word he's coming home. On the Sunday after Thanksgiving, November 11th, 2020, she makes her way to the airport. She's going to be his greeting party. She got word that he's coming. She goes to the airport, and every time somebody comes down the hallway, every time she sees the road, she looks. Is it him? She knows he's on his way. She knows he's coming. She, see, she saw his plane land, and it is that anticipation. See, that's how I come to church. I wrote, my, I wrote my kids last night. I can't wait to get to church. I can't wait to see what God might do. See, I come to church like that. I don't go like, oh, it's Sunday. Yes, I better go. No, I, I mean, I literally come to church like, okay, what's God going to do? What's he going to say? How's he going to break out? Who's going to respond? That's how I go to church every Sunday. Because I'm, I'm looking for him. Just like that young girl waiting for her, her husband who's been away for six months. Here he comes. Her heart leaps for joy. Or the man who had the heart attack. It didn't look good. But about an hour and a half, and she's sitting there, her mind's wondering. One of the nurse attendants comes out. Says, honey, listen. I want to give you, I want to give you, I want to encourage you. I want to help you. You have the best doctor in this region working on your husband. Okay, let me just do it. Whoop! Okay, I just, if you did, I just had to do it. Okay, you got the best doctor. You couldn't have a better doctor. Okay, see, it's so hard for me to just say that and like, like, like let it go. See, this is the case. This is how I see it. This is how, this is how I process it. You have the best doctor. 
he has, he has the best success rate of anybody doing the particular procedure that, you're, that, that your husband needs. So by his experience and his skill, you have good reason to have hope. Ladies and gentlemen, let me just say, you have a heavenly father who loves you like you can't even imagine. You think about your mama, if you had a good mom, and most of us did. Jesus said, even if your mother forsakes you, I will not forsake you. I will be with you to the very end of the age. I will not go away. This, my friends, is the hope of Advent. This is the hope of Advent. Eric Terry, if you'd come. The songwriter wrote the song. I don't know his name. I could, it's easy to look up. I just didn't do it. I'm, I apologize for that. I should have. You know I didn't do it. But you know, you know the hymn, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day? Their old familiar carols, carols say, or something like that line. And wild and sweet, the song repeat, with peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But long and deep, the bells repeat. God is not dead. He does not sleep. Though hate is strong and mocks the song, there will be peace on earth, and as far as he's concerned, goodwill toward men. I heard the bells on Christmas Day their old familiar carols play and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth good will to men i thought how as the day had come the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, good will to men. And in despair I bowed my head, there is no on earth I said for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth good will to men then paled the bells more loud and deep God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, good will to men. Until ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night.
today a voice a chime a chant sublime of peace on earth good to men of peace on earth good to men of peace on earth good to men Lord you are our father you are the potter we are the clay we are your people the sheep of your pasture may our eyes always be fixed on you no matter what breaks around us, even if we ourselves find ourselves broken. You are the mender of broken hearts. You are the one that lifts up the spirit. You are the one that heals the body. So we bless your name, and we go from this place, but never from your presence, because that is your promise. We go with that with great joy in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord be with you. Thanks for joining us at Central Church today. If you'd like to get involved, please visit us at centralnazarene.org.